ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the Great Scott Show on a Wednesday morning, May 11th. How's everybody feeling? All the best to you and yours. Rooting for all you guys. I mean, I'm rooting for all you guys. All of you. Coming up this morning, got a great show for you. Anthony Babineau, assistant uh, baseball coach for Louisiana Raging Cajun Baseball, joins me every Wednesday during the season. He'll join me via the phone line this morning. He is in Houston, Louisiana's game against Rice last night. They'll take on Rice again tonight. They'll take on Texas State this weekend. Got a number of things to get into with him in the 8 o'clock hour. Dan Lust, sports attorney, Dan Lust. His platform has continued to grow the last few years, and uh, you hear him on ESPN, on CBS Sports, on Fox Sports, all over the place. I, I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of questions. Sports, the legal side of sports is interesting, but I'm not a lawyer, right? What my, what is Alvin Kamara? Where is his case going? He was charged for the felony. What, what, what is the suspension coming? Trevor Bauer got suspended for 324 games by Major League Baseball even though a judge found the witnesses in the case to be um, not up to par. NIL, right? NCAA is telling the, the the federal government, please help us with some rules and regulations here. Meanwhile, Brett Favre is getting sued by the state of Mississippi for uh, allegedly taking welfare money to speak at places he never spoke. A lot to get into with Dan. That coming your way in 10 minutes. It's going to be a great show. Uh Pivotal game fives last night in the NBA between Philly and Miami, Dallas and Phoenix. We're going to do that later this hour. But what, you know, I, I said that I was rooting for all you guys, and I mean it. And what spawned that was Jim Trotter, who is a columnist for NFL.com. I've always enjoyed Jim's work over the years. And I like an article he wrote, and he said, look, as journalists, we're supposed to be objective. Just the facts. But the reality is we have biases like everyone else, especially in sports, and we take a little more pleasure in the success of some players and coaches because we like him. We root for him. We can't help it. He says, I don't hide the fact I'm a fan of Lamar Jackson. But then he went on to go through all 32 NFL teams to point out who he is rooting for and why. I find that to be a good exercise. Now, I couldn't do it with the Falcons. I, I couldn't look at the Falcons and say, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for someone on that team. I just, I tried. I just couldn't. Right? But, you know, he says Dan Campbell in Detroit. Says his colorful sound bites, all that other stuff. He loves it because it's a total change from how so many of the cardboard cutouts are from NFL coaches. He loves a coach that doesn't give the coach speak. 
And he says the team wants to play for him. The players want to play. He's rooting for him. Right? Matt Ryan in Indianapolis says he's rooting for him. If he could win a Super Bowl with another team after the 28-3 debacle, that would be huge for his resume. It would be kind of funny, too, if he won a Super Bowl with another team. After he said last week he had probably still be a Falcon if they hadn't gone chasing Deshaun Watson. Tyron Matthew for the Saints. Returning to a state where he first made a national name for himself. Who doesn't love a good homecoming story? I'm with him. But going through each and every team. And you can only pick one. And it can be a player. It can be a coach. It can be an assistant. Somebody. Somebody. Within the organization. If there's one player or person. Where are you going? You know, I, I I learned a few things. Kelvin Kelvin Beecham, a right tackle for Arizona, really know much about him other than he's a starter in the league. Seventh round pick, has started every game of his career, has done a ton, ton of time, energy, money into providing resources for marginalized students in hopes of bridging the digital. I I had didn't know about that, right? And that's the side of sports that I think is important to tell. And even though I'll talk to Dan Lust here in a little while, we'll talk about some of the legal things, which brings with it some of the darker side of sports, because I'm also going to be asking him about Dan Snyder and what it would take to force an owner to sell in the NFL and if it could ever happen in Washington. There's so many good stories to tell. While we love the animosity in these NBA playoffs and teams hating one another in the NBA playoffs because it makes for a fun series and it's competitive, once you step back in a way and you start learning more about the individuals and who they are as a person and what they're dealing with away from the game, you begin to humanize sports a lot more. And the human element of sports at times can be clouded, can be lost between fan and sport. It's a uniform. It's a company you root for. It's a franchise. But the player stories, the coach stories, the human stories, that's what I love about sports, man. That's my favorite thing about it. That side of it is the best. So shout out Jim Trotter for that. I enjoyed it. And it also got me thinking about who would I root for for each franchise. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm rooting for all of you guys. Thank you all for tuning in this morning. I'm Scott Prather. Dan Lust, sports attorney, is going to join me next. Camara, Bauer, Favre, NIL, Snyder. The Raiders, who just fired their president last week, who's saying, I just got fired by Mark Davis because I went to him and said, look, there's some nasty workplace stuff happening here. Some bad things are happening to the women in the building. And then, boom, he gets the can. How much is the NFL going to look into that? How much of it is just leagues with optics in terms of how they suspend things as opposed to actually looking into it? Lots of questions to ask Dan, sports attorney, the legal side of sports. We'll get into that. After that, last night's pivotal game fives in the NBA playoffs. Anthony Babineau in the 8 o'clock hour will dig into Raging Cajun baseball. Not just their game last night against Rice and what's to come tonight, but this weekend against Texas State and more. It's all coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.
my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. Coming up a little later this hour, we'll hit on last night's NBA playoff games. In the 8 o'clock hour, Louisiana Raging Cajun assistant coach Anthony Babineau will join me over the phone line from Houston. Cajuns took on Rice last night. They'll take on Rice again tonight. But joining me now, as promised, one of my favorite guests. You guys have heard him on our airwaves the last couple of years. He uh, continues to uh, raise his profile. He is... One of the two hosts of the uh, Conduct Detrimental podcast. He is a sports attorney and he is Dan Lust, our guest right now. Good morning, Dan. How's life? How are you? Scott, I am good. Um, we'll say uh, the world of sports uh, continues to keep me busy, but busy is good. So uh, all good over here. You know, one of the reasons you're my favorite guest is in, in dealing with sports. It doesn't matter what day of the year it is. There's always going to be at least one story that you can dig up that has to do with the legal side of sports. It's 24-7, 365, but oftentimes it's it's a lot more than, than one. And there's a number right now that have my interest, have the audience's interest, and, and it's why I wanted to bring you on. But for anyone listening that doesn't follow Dan, uh, go follow him on Twitter at SportsLawLust. And if you want to follow... Uh, the Conduct Detrimental Twitter handle, it is at Con Detrimental. And just a lot of really good information and insight, Dan. And I think I want to start, let me, let me just start with, with Alvin Kamara. Because, you know, Saints running back, arguably the best player on the team. A guy that is vitally important to him. And, you know, a couple of months ago when he allegedly beat a man in Las Vegas outside of a strip club... You know, fans are. They kind of read the report, and then they started thinking, okay, what's this mean for Kamara and his future? Uh, court date's been pushed back. Uh, Two-part question to start, Dan. One, what do you think Kamara is facing legally from here on out? And two, what do you think he's facing from the NFL and how they may approach this in terms of conduct? Yeah, I guess there's, there's two parts of it. So uh, for those that don't know, obviously, uh, Kamara was charged with a felony relating to that incident. But, uh, you know, with the busy offseason uh, between uh, some trades with wide receivers moving and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff uh, you know, on, the, on the legal front, um, you know, even, even this past week, you got another uh, Raiders story, which I don't know with the Raiders president being dismissed from the team. Uh, the NFL's very busy landscape has kind of pushed this story um, to the back. Now, that said... It's a felony criminal case involving a very high-profile player who's a Pro Bowl running back, Alvin Kamara. So, you know, when, when guys are charged with felonies, that usually uh, results in some type of suspension. Obviously, um, felony or even any type of criminal charge is not required for a suspension, but just the way the numbers play out. If a charge results, usually a suspension falls or, or works, right? Sometimes guys get released, but uh, a player like Kamara... I think it'd be very surprising if he got released. Not surprising if he got a suspension. So 
Yeah, this hearing gets postponed, uh, I think about a week or so at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, we have two dual process playing out, right? We have the criminal court playing out, uh, and then, uh, you know, the NFL level playing out. And then maybe, right, if a civil lawsuit results, if the victim here initiates a civil case, you could have a third level. So, yeah, I think we're just seeing the beginning of this, um, you know, and, and no, no real time frame as to when this will get resolved. But, uh, you know, as they say, Scott, the wheels of justice turn very slowly. Yeah, no question. And, you know, the the way that Saints fans view Roger Goodell, I think is the way most fans do, right? Judge, jury, executioner, the appeals process. But having gone through Bounty Gate 10 years ago and Sean Payton's entire season suspension and then Goodell having, I guess, the process taken away from him uh, as, it, you know, because it continued to drag out and then Paul Tagliu stepped in. It was such a long thing. And, and I think fans realize a lot of times, it's it's more about what the NFL wants to put out in terms of image and PR as opposed to what actually happened, right? We care very much about this, and so here is this punishment. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think a lot of things, some kind of suspension, no matter what, whether it's two games, whether it's six games, I, if if there was a, a clear denominator or dogma, rather, from for NFL conduct policies, maybe fans would know this, but... All they can do is keep asking the questions. The reality is, Dan, we're not going to know until the NFL decides they want to make that announcement. Yeah, and I, and I think people should pay attention to the landscape, right? A lot of this stuff is optics. A lot of it's precedent. You know, the, the big suspension that I think is that, you know, at least us in the legal space are waiting to see is the Deshaun Watson suspension. Uh, obviously, it's completely different. Uh, there's no criminal charges there. It's 20-plus uh, civil cases, but I think uh, word in the street of the suspension will come. So it's just, um, you know, it's optics at a certain point. Um, I, I can expect the suspension for Kamara. Um, you know, obviously there's a, there's a videotape involved, so it's a little bit harder to dispute those charges, whereas a guy like Watson is he said, she said type deal. So you can see how he would kind of contest, uh, you know, those accusations. But, you know, once the Watson suspension comes, if it does, uh, I think that's going to shape the, uh, you know, whoever's waiting in line for NFL suspension. I think the league is kind of prioritizing uh, the Watson case. So we'll see. Um, I think once that domino falls, we'll see, uh, you know, all these other investigations start to take shape. Sports attorney Dan Lust, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. You talk about optics. Let's head to Major League Baseball. Trevor Bauer, uh, 324 game suspension. Uh, I'll be honest, I did not see that coming. I know that as, you know, as it relates to, for instance, the Deshaun Watson case that you just brought up, right? Regardless of what a court says, um, you know, it doesn't mean that a player is totally exonerated, whether it be from the public eye or whether it be from uh, their employer and, and what they discover. Were you surprised at the length of Bauer's suspension? And do you feel like he has any chance with his appeal? Well, two things. The baseball's domestic violence policy was created in August of 2015. And under that policy, um, there haven't been that many suspensions. Uh, I guess the number is, is relative, but it's been about 15. So in the history of suspensions under the domestic violence policy, the longest suspension had been a full season. So you're just talking about precedent. Um, I think you would set one year as the maximum because some of these incidents have resulted in criminal charges. Um, you know, maybe Bauer, I don't, I don't know if Bauer is the highest profile player that's made it to that list. Uh, We've seen guys, uh, you know, like Aroldis Chapman, very, very big closure um, on the list. Other big names uh, have been there. Um, so I was, I was surprised to see two years, particularly because, you know, the inf- the incident that people, you know, are kind of pointing to was one that a uh, a judge in in California threw out. 
and said that, um, you know, the petition, I think she, the judge there used the term, was materially misleading, which is a fancy way of saying, like, you know, not that credible. So I found it odd that the two-year suspension would be based on an incident that a judge said was seemingly not credible. I thought that was interesting. And, And I made the comment at the time, maybe there are some other incidents and allegations that we don't know about. Um, and then what kind of transpired in the next 24 hours is, yes, actually Major League Baseball spoke to another accuser that we did not know about who, um, you know, was maybe a few years prior, I think 2013, 2014. So it certainly surprised me at the time, but as more facts started to come out, it made a little bit more sense. Um, you know, and Scott, you asked me about the chances of success on appeal. I think Major League Baseball probably was, uh, you know, it feels strong that they were able to suspend him for something. Um, I still think they're going to have trouble, and the standard here is just cause. They're going to have trouble convincing, uh, I don't know, the public, me, I don't know, you know, um, that that Trevor Bauer, a guy that was not charged with anything criminally, was worthy of the longest suspension in the history of the sport. Um, you know, unless there's some new details that came out that we didn't really know about, two years, right, double the length of any other suspension prior, uh, you're going to have to back that up. So um, under the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, they're really not allowed to be transparent. So, you know, we'll see what, what comes out in the, in the, uh, in the media. But, you know, the leaks are really not allowed in this particular context. So uh, Manfred's fighting transparency as much as he's actually fighting this appeal. So we'll see what comes out. I think that's the harder part, to show that two years was a valid and just suspension. And, you know, he's Bauer is a guy that's always pretty vocal. I doubt he's going to go quietly into the night unless there was some other information that the league got a hold of with a witness that he doesn't want to come out. But it feels like at 31 years old, if he were to serve this whole thing, I mean, Cy Young winner, he wouldn't be throwing a pitch in a game again until, you know, April of 2024. You go nearly three years, uh, you start approaching your mid-30s, in some ways it could feel like a, a baseball death sentence for him. So, you know, I don't know that this story is going to continue to draw the headlines that maybe some in the NFL were, but I, I think it's far from over right now. I imagine, you know, at some point we're going to hear more from Bauer and probably more for Major League Baseball. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about Deshaun Watson and Alvin Kamara. This two-year suspension will put a lot of pressure on Goodell, I, I would think, to at least, at least think twice about issuing a longer suspension. Because if he came out and issued one game for Deshaun Watson, obviously different cases, different allegations. But Manfred sent a very strong message, right? And, again, uh, you know, Trevor Bauer doesn't even have any civil case that's pending against him. Deshaun Watson has 20. So we're trying to figure out what Kamara's going to get. You have to look at Bauer. Bauer's going to influence, I would think, Watson, even though they're different sports. And then I think Watson sets the stage for the next level of um, NFL suspension. So certainly a couple dominoes to watch. And Lust, our guest at Sports Law Lust on Twitter, if you want to follow him there. He uh, is one of the two hosts of Conduct Detrimental, a, uh, a podcast on the sports when uh, sports and law meet, right? The intersection of sports and law, and uh, it's great stuff. He and Daniel Wallach do it together. Uh, you, you mentioned Goodell and kind of maybe the pressure one sport can put on another. Let me circle back to the NFL for a moment because I have a few more questions for you from that sport. And the Raiders president earlier this week, uh, Dan Ventrell, he was fired and alleged that he went to the owner and said, "Hey, there's some pretty." You know, it's. I think it was maybe. What did he use the word? Hostile work environment. Um, he's claiming that's why he was fired. What can you tell us about this story? Because uh, it had made big headlines down here. But what what does this mean in the in the NFL world? 
Yeah, and, I mean, I think people are kind of slow to pick the story up because we don't really know any details yet. But if you read through the breadcrumbs, um, you know, Ventrelli, who is, uh, you know, I think an 18-year veteran of the organization, general counsel, he was appointed the president of the team. Um, you know, he, he issues the statement that he said uh, he was fired uh, from the position, and he alleges he was fired for reporting these allegations of a hostile work environment to the NFL that Mark Davis, uh, I guess, I guess was involved somehow in these allegations. And once Mark Davis found out that this guy, you know, Ventrelli went around his back right to Goodell and NFL HQ, was fired, right? And there's certainly protections. You can't fire someone for uh, reporting toxic workplace or, you know, uh, a hostile workplace, um, you know, to, to somebody else, be it a federal entity or whatnot. The, the part that I read very closely in, in Ventrelli's statement was that he wanted to protect female employees. So then my, you know, my mind started going and I go, listen, I don't think it's so much of a leap here to think that we are dealing with something, maybe what looks like uh, what happened with Washington with Dan Snyder, right? Toxic workplace, uh, sexual harassment, and sexual assault allegations over at Washington. Maybe that's what's going on at, at the Raiders HQ because, you know, after the stuff happened with Snyder, I'm like, yeah, this is likely going to lead to some other allegations. Then you saw the stuff happen. Um, you know, the allegations come out with the Dallas Cowboys and now you know, the Raiders. So, um, you know, people should be paying attention to it. And, and obviously, um, Scott, you know this. Congress is investigating, um, you know, the Washington commanders and Dan Snyder at a federal level for what's going on at their work site. So I don't think it would shock anyone if the Cowboys and now the Raiders get brought into those federal investigations. So people should be paying attention to it. Um, you know, you have three teams all in different markets with these type of allegations. All of a sudden, right, that's a national story. So um, I think the NFL, you know, uh, fans should be on notice. Congress is now, you know, uh, poking around the NFL landscape. So, yeah, I think it's a, it could be a big story. I mean, uh, we'll see what comes of it. But, yeah, a guy, a high-profile guy, general counsel, president, being uh, fired after reportedly, you know, reporting these allegations to the NFL – uh, yeah, uh, it could be some tea to it. The guy has retained his own lawyer, so yeah, we'll see what comes of it. Obviously, a story to, to closely monitor. Sometimes the NFL's partners, not to say that they won't report on something, they do, they point it out, but they're not going to have, say, uh, a show of their talking heads debating it, right? So they'll give it some coverage, but won't sensationalize it. And they'll say, look, we're just we're doing our job, it's not this. And maybe they're trying to be a good partner. I mean, if if you want to define good a certain way. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. But last thing on, on NFL owners, you mentioned Dan Snyder, obviously, in Congress. For a while, look, Washington fans would love nothing more than the, this guy to be forced to sell the team. I mean, his own fan base can't stand him. And I always said, boy, it takes a whole lot to force an owner to do that. And then when the, the news came out of him, uh, cooking the books, so to speak, and maybe taking some money away from other owners. I said this this could be something. Add on to you know the federal investigation and the workplace environment. Dan, my question is, what would it take for Dan Snyder to be forced to be removed as the owner or forced to sell? Is that is that something that you could foresee ever happening in Washington? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, you know we could make the argument quantity versus quality. At this point, Snyder's kind of hit both, right? He has a number of allegations swirling around the team. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault, toxic workplace. You know, you name a legal controversy, and it has involved election commanders, for, for better or for worse, right? Even a lawsuit between the minority owners, it's not a good look, right? You're making the, the wrong kind of noise. Um, but I did mention this federal investigation. With Congress poking around Washington, what they ended up finding 
is, you know, I guess at least to them, evidence of financial improprieties that the team had stole, um, you know, at least misappropriated money that was due to other owners by cooking the books with respect to uh, how many fans were attending games. So, um, you know, there, there is some form of revenue sharing for ticket-based revenue, and the Congress at least found some evidence that Washington had two separate books, one that they gave to the NFL and then the actual book. So I think the combination of messy allegations, uh, you know, pertaining to gender, uh, you know, we'll say uh, sexual harassment type stuff, with stealing money from other owners, those types of allegations, you know, it's established. And I think one or both is, is the right combination to, to get him removed. So if you're asking me, Scott, to put odds on who's going to be first to get kicked out, right, uh, Dan Snyder or Mark Davis with the Raiders or Jerry Jones with Dallas, I think Snyder's in a, in a class all by himself. So I, I think, you know, if there was some type of that next owner to get kicked out of the league, I think Snyder's in a tier alone. I don't know if that number has a minus sign or a plus sign in front of it for our, our betting people. Uh, but I think certainly he's he's got to be uh, the leader in the clubhouse. He's on board now, right? And that's saying something. Um, Dan Lust, our guest, sports attorney. Uh, you've heard him all over the place and, and from time to time right here on our airwaves at ESPN Lafayette. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Uh, sticking with the football theme, it's for a former player, a Hall of Famer, but this story has kind of come and gone over the last couple of years. Brett Favre, Mississippi, um, is is suing him, along with some former wrestlers and Ted DiBiase Sr. and Jr., uh, million-dollar man, ironically. Um, but, you know, Favre, who lives in Mississippi, uh, was accused of being paid a lot of money for giving speeches and not showing up. Uh, what what kind of lawsuit does the state potentially have against Farvin, and how much trouble could he get in with this? Yeah, um, I saw the headline, and, and then Scott, you know where my, my wrestling mind works. I saw oh, three yeah. of the wrestlers, and I'm like, Ted DiBiase Sr. and Jr., right? We're talking about uh, the uh, Randy Orton, uh, Cody Rhodes, and uh, Ted, Ted DiBiase Jr. legacy. Era of the legacy. Yeah, I know... I know my uh, my wrestling history here, so yeah. I mean, this is a this is a lawsuit uh, essentially by uh, the Mississippi Department of Human Services to basically claw back money. Um, so the lawsuit says the defendant squandered more than twenty million from uh, temporary assistance for needy families and poverty program. And if people have been following the story, um, you know, I think Favre had some comments that he was potentially going to give some money back. Um, just kind of you know, uh, messy messy level. So. You know, you can't, uh, you can't accept money for work that you did not do. That is a kind of textbook. Um, but the question is, what, what level did these people know, right, that they, you know, money was supposed to go someplace or that they were actually being compensated for stuff they didn't do, right? Or maybe, right, um, somebody spoke at a certain event and they were compensated more than they, than they thought they should have actually gotten. So the level of what we call in the legal field, scienter, which is a fancy word for saying knowledge of fraud, is going to come into play here. So what, what Favre knew, what DiBiase knew, what the wrestlers knew, there's other football players involved, um, you know, what they knew is certainly going to come into play here. So, yeah, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly see, but this is a, a messy lawsuit and we'll see obviously what Mississippi had involved with this because they were getting uh, the money, I think, uh, hard, and these guys thought they were getting the money from a, uh, you know, uh, up, up in front uh, business from someone from the government. So, you know, we'll see how much knowledge uh, in, it falls back on, on the, the government side of this. So messy lawsuit, but, uh, you know, Brett Favre uh, finds himself in a, in a tough spot here. Dan Lust, our guest, sports attorney Dan Lust. Wh- wh- who is your, uh, your favorite wrestler of all time, Dan? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm, I'm going to go with the Macho Man. I mean, I, I tend to quote him far yeah. more than I quote any other wrestler. I think that's a safe pick. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been through the, the history. I, I watch all the docs, so 
Uh, Macho Man has held up over over time. He's a Macho Man and maybe Flair to a certain point, but Flair has uh, become more controversial in recent years. So I don't I don't think I can say Flair anymore, but I'll go with the Macho Man. Yeah, Flair doesn't have to be your favorite, but he is the goat. I mean, there's I don't he, he's the best of all time, right? Jet flying, wheeling, stealing. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, uh, Daniel Bryan for me, um, but you know. I, I'll segue with that into, I could remember Daniel Bryan at his peak, and it wasn't that long ago. You know, the yes chant was everywhere. There was a player for Michigan State's football team, don't remember his name, but he would do it a lot during football games, and they'd bring him out for basketball games, and he'd lead the crowd, and they'd get going, and you saw yes chants all over the place. Now, WWE, if they wanted to, or in this case, AEW, you know, I know Brian did with WWE anymore, and there's probably some legalities to the yes thing. But my point is, if a wrestling corporation wanted to do an NIL deal with a student athlete, uh, I'm sure there would be plenty of kids in college that would be like, wait, what? I'll do it for gear, right? I'll do it. You're, you're going to put me on there? Sure, I'll promote it, right? I mean, it's, it's the, uh, the fun, the promos, all of that stuff. And as, as NIL continues to... Uh, pick up and we're kind of in this phase where it's somewhat new and the NCA can't keep up. What What is some of the, you know, I, I was reading an article last week about comparing state laws and proposed legislation for prospective student athletes in NIL. Dan, what are your thoughts on, on the legal current state of the name image likeness in college sports? And where do you think it might be, say, five to 10 years from now? Yeah, so, um, you know, we just did a, uh, a special edition of our show for college sports law. I think that's the biggest story in, in our field right now. What, what the law is, in, how the law is impacting college sports, how it will impact. So we're about a year into the NIL era, um, and really what the next year will look like will really, I think, determine the fate of college sports, whether the NCAA will exist, whether the Power Five, or if you're a uh, college football junkie, maybe like the Power Two, whether those guys break off. Um, you know, for, for better or worse, um, the NCAA refused to adapt, preemptively strike. And what that led to was state governments coming in and thinking that they know how, how to legislate college sports better than the NCAA themselves. And I don't know the NCAA was not acting, so maybe action is better than inaction. And what you have now is different laws across the country. Half the states have NIL laws, half of them do not. The ones that have NIL laws are different, you know, different nuances to those. Um, and then you have the issue maybe across the country, who is enforcing this, right? There's, you can have an NIL law on the books, um, but if the state attorney general is not going to police it, the NCA is not going to police it, like, I don't know, uh, what's the point of having these laws? So um, you, we're certainly dealing with a lot right now. And then on, on top of it, you know, this uh, transfer portal opening up, it's lent itself to these boosters, um, which have kind of like, uh, formed under what we call as collectives, like these big entities really designed to pay athletes in the transfer portal to come to their particular schools or high school athletes to come to their schools or even, you know, incumbent athletes to stay at the schools. You have these boosters that are really dictating college sports. And, and maybe that's always been the case, Scott, um, but it's being done in a level um, where college sports fans are seeing it done very transparently. Um, and uh, this past week we had the commissioners of the, um, you know, Pac-12 uh, and the SEC really petitioned Congress for immediate federal assistance. Can you guys come in and help us? Uh, so red alert, red sirens going off everywhere. Um, and we'll see now, you know, um, 
states are, are free. There's a concept called federalism, which I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but you know, states are, are really free to do whatever they want in a particular industry or an area until the federal government comes in. That's why some states can have sports betting laws, some states can legalize cannabis, and other states, you know, just don't because um, you know the federal government hasn't stepped in. Uh, we are hearing talk of a federal bill coming in to try to you know make legislation uniform across the board, same way that uh, the, the drinking age across our country would be 21. They're trying to do that for college sports. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. Maybe you're sitting here listening to this being like, I don't want the federal government involved in college sports at all. But whether we like it or not, college sports has a real issue that needs to be solved. If the NCAA is not going to come in and solve it, uh, politicians, federal politicians think that they should. So that's what we're dealing with now. And, uh, you know, it, it is problematic. I'm not sure how to solve it. Um, but uh, federal, uh, you know, Congress, uh, you know, those guys seeming uh, they're, they're circling here. Uh, they don't want to, They want to get their fingerprints on it all of a sudden. Yeah, I I think it's going to be one of these evolving things that they'll come up with temporary solutions that are probably just going to create some more issues, and then they're going to react to it after that. I I don't I think it's going to be more reactive than proactive, and maybe a decade from now they'll settle into something that works. But it feels like they got a lot of work on their hands with this, Dan. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no right answers. Like I've been sitting here on my soapbox for a year. I'm like the way to solve these different state legislative issues is to have a federal law. And then I'm having people come back to me and say, well, why do we trust the federal government in our college sports? And I'm like, well, we already have state legislatures in the in our college sports. So people are upset that, uh, you know, conference championships and national championships are being decided by state politicians and state-based boosters. The way to normalize that is by having a federal law. Not to say that states should be dealing with this or the federal government should be dealing with this, but we already have state legislatures in the sphere. Um, so I don't know. There, there's really no right answers, but um, I, I think, you know, the NCAA is not doing anything. They have not done anything for 10 months. So I think creative solutions are better than no solutions because inaction by the NCAA for the last 10 months has got us here, which I think everyone can agree there's, there's a problem. We need a sheriff in town to police this. So, you know, um, if the NCAA is not going to do anything, I think someone will I think everyone feels that uh, we're kind of on the ship right now and there's no one steering it. So there's no sheriff, no captain, whatever metaphor you want to use. Wow, wow, um, west. Some, yeah. Right, right. Some, some efforts are better than none. I think, that's a, I think we can all agree on that. Dan Lust has been our guest. Uh, great stuff as always, Dan, man. Thanks for the knowledge. Guys, give him a follow on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Check out the Conduct Detrimental podcast uh, that uh, he does along with Daniel Wallach, and uh, where the, the sports law intersection of... Uh, there's a whole lot of it in the world of sports, man. I always have questions. Dan always has answers. I appreciate the time, man. All the best. Continued success. And uh, let's chat again in the future, my friend. My pleasure, Scott. Anytime. You got it. Dan Lust, we'll take a quick time out. Come back on the great Scott Show. Reminder, Rage Occasion Assistant Coach Anthony Babineau joins us in the 8 o'clock hour. Up next, pivotal Game 5s last night in the NBA playoffs. We'll look back at Philly, Miami, Dallas, and Phoenix, the latest from there. This is The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. <clears throat> Anthony Babineau scheduled to join me at 8 from Houston via the phone line. Louisiana defeated Rice last night. Eight straight win over the Owls. Rice is not currently uh, up to their standard, but another road win for Louisiana. They're at now 13 road wins this season, two more, and they get that nice number of 15, which stands out to the committee. But we'll talk more Cajun baseball next hour. Julian Brock, man, give it up for him. My goodness. 15 hits last night for the Cajuns. Nicely done. They'll play uh, Rice again tonight. You have Rage Occasion softball this morning against Coastal Carolina. 10 o'clock, 945 pregame. You know, Zan Bobby Nova have the call. If you watched the NBA games last night, uh, did you stay awake? Not because they were late, but because they were kind of boring. Aside from an ejection in the Phoenix-Dallas game. When... um, Marquise Chris followed Bismack Biombo off the court following a hard foul. It was just, you know, security got involved. I mean, that's testy. I get it. It's testy. But the games themselves, no. You've heard the stat quite a bit if you're watching the playoffs. 83% of the time in a seven-game series, when the series is tied 2-2, the winner of Game 5 wins the series. 83% of the time. Unfortunately, the New Orleans Hornets slash Pelicans were on the wrong end of that. They were up three games to two in the 08 playoffs at the quarterfinals against the Spurs, only to lose two games later in Game 7 at home. New Orleans, one of only two teams in the NBA to have never been to a conference finals. The other... That'd be the Charlotte Hornets, who for a stretch were the New Orleans Hornets. Moved to New Orleans, they kept all the old records, and until the Bobcats came back to Charlotte, they gave that franchise their records, the old Charlotte Hornets records for their record books, and New Orleans just keeps their records since 2002. I know that seems very confusing. The point is, if you have a chance to win game five, in a seven-game series when it's tied 2-2, two to two, you better do it. It's not always a guarantee, especially if you're New Orleans, but if you're most teams in the NBA. I mean, did you ever feel... I, I know the series aren't over yet, but did you ever feel like Philly was going to win with Embiid injured and everything else? Did you ever feel like Dallas had any shot in this series? I mean, let's be real. Last night, the 2-1 seeds won by a combined 65 points. Okay? It was a snooze fest. That's what it was. Pivotal game fives, but a snooze fest. Period. Tonight you got Milwaukee-Boston, Golden State-Memphis. Milwaukee-Boston, yeah. I'm in. I'm interested. Golden State-Memphis, John Morant likely done for the playoffs with the injured knee, and the Grizzlies likely going to end their season tonight. Now they are in Memphis. They are gritty. I, I I suppose they could force a game six, but they're not They're not winning this thing. Come on. It's over. And then tomorrow night, I imagine Philly, Miami, Dallas, Phoenix will probably end as well. 
Now, Boston-Milwaukee, stretch that thing out to seven games. Give me a game seven on Sunday. Phone lines are open, 337-269-1077, 337-269-1077. You can hit me up at ESPN Lafayette. Or email me, scott at ESPNLafayette.com. Tom Brady. Man, that guy. Jeez. What bad luck that guy has. What bad work ethic. What a bad life he has. Not. I mean, if you don't think this guy just puts him on the table and says, I'm going to do what I want. He hasn't retired from the NFL yet. And he also has... Far and away, the most rich broadcasting contract in the history of sports broadcasting. By a ton. Fox is going to pay Brady $37.5 million a year over the course of 10 years. To be the lead analyst following his playing career. So Greg Olson, cool. Have fun with that while you got it. Because as soon as Brady's ready, you're in here. Whether that's next year, whether that's the year after, whether it's the year after that. Now, I get it. I get it. It's Brady. I understand if he wants. And and I'll be honest, I was a little surprised he wanted to go into broadcasting. I figured he'd just go do whatever the heck he wanted. But I, not that Brady would want to be involved in sports broadcasting, but I mean, he's, he's got stuff in Hollywood. He's got other stuff in media, a full season, the travel, all that stuff. He doesn't need the money. But do you ever watch an NFL game because of who's calling it ever, ever under any circumstance? Do you watch Monday Night Football because, all right, we're going to get some analysis at halftime from Steve Young. I know that he doesn't do the color commentary, but he gets paid a lot just to sit there and talk about the game. I mean, good for them, right? Good for them for, for getting the money. I get it, but $375 million. Yeah, I was a bit surprised. Let's head to the phone lines. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Scott Show. Hello. Where's the outrage? You know, I hear people bitch and complain about contracts going up for players. I didn't hear anyone complain or say anything about this. Like, this is, this man's going to get paid $38 million with no experience. Yes, yeah, I know he played 20 years in the league. $38 million? Just not, not $25 million. We're just going to get this man close to $40 million just because of who he is. He, he there's the only there's only one Brady in his market is different than any other ex NFL player ever, but thirty seven and a half mil, dude. I mean, come on. Like when they were talking about Peyton Manning and and networks wanting to have Peyton Manning, they were talking about twenty million, and that seemed like a lot. But it was like, well, you know, Manning, whatever. I, maybe he he he'll, he'll bring some pull with him. I mean, Brady's still playing in there. That's far and away more than anybody in the history of broadcasting. Something's telling me he's going to have one of those shows, you know, Unmask the Singer, one of those Mask Singer type shows. I, I wasn't surprised. He, yeah, yeah, you make a good, yeah, you make a good point because he does have a lot of media interest. He does have 
some investments in some movie studios in uh, in in Hollywood and some projects. There's probably some other aspects of this deal with Fox that are more than just broadcasting. I would, uh, I, which which isn't to say that that's why he's agreeing to it. I'm sure he's he's milking that cow for even more than the thirty seven and a half mil. Is my point. I'm, Fox is just saying, here, man, we'll take whatever you want. Would you ever have you? Let me ask you this: Have you ever watched a game because of who is calling it? Only, hey man, when I was a kid, no. But now you might turn off a game, and I'm not. Brady might end up being awesome. I have no idea. I'm just saying. I, I don't. I, I if you had told me they're going to sign Brady and he's going to be the highest paid, you know, color analyst of all NFL games, that wouldn't have even surprised me. I would have been like, all right, what are they going to get? Twenty mil, thirty-seven and a half mil a year. I again, I was just taken back. I couldn't believe that number when I read. Yeah, uh, you know, when I was a kid, just to hear Madden and Summerall. But like I said, I, I couldn't see myself like, I got to watch the game to hear Madden. No. Yeah, it, 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 there was a comfort to it or a familiarity or a, a, for some an annoyance, whatever. It was cool, but you, were, you weren't watching just because of them. It was nice, but I got to watch Madden and Summerall. I mean, no, no one did that. I love no, Al no, Michaels. I've never, watched, I've never watched Sunday Night Football just to hear Al Michaels. And then now it's going to be Thursday Night Football. I'm not going to be like, oh, Got to watch Amazon Prime this year. I can't miss Al Michaels. No, I'm going to watch because there's an NFL game on. You know, with respect, I don't know. It's a lot of now money. That makes sense why why Aikman and Buck left. Uh, I wonder uh, what what they try to negotiate. You know, if like, whoa, y'all supposed to get this man? How much? Uh, oh, yeah, no. yeah. If, if if or or did this kind of come afterwards? And did Fox overreact because they lost? Buck and Aikman. Okay. Were, were they, you know, did this, was this the next domino to drop? Because um, Romo got a big payday, and then Aikman, who was making out of six and a half mil, suddenly was like, wait, y'all are paying Romo 18 mil? Give me that. And he got it. It, it, it. It's really, it's kind of a new thing for NFL color analysts to be getting the money that they are. And it, it really started with uh-huh. Romo. Um, and now it's just, I, I, but. He's making almost twenty million more than Romo per year, and he hadn't, yeah. you know, even finished playing yet. It's crazy. It's nuts. Now I know one listener is probably giddy with this information. I know, I know that you know over the years his man crush on Tom Brady, uh, Troy. I know Troy's gonna. I'm sure he's ecstatic. It is news that. Uh, Wait, that, Troy's uh, Troy's a Brady fan. You didn't know? No, I thought he was a Dolphins fan. Why would he be a Brady fan? Uh, hey, that that's. One of the greatest oxymorons on this station. This man, anytime this man get a chance, he praises Tom Brady. But, um, hey, so I'm sure he's happy. He's giddy about this information. Look, you have a good one, and thank you. Appreciate it. There's only one Tom Brady. His market, his star power, as far as football goes, is unlike any other player in the history of the league. And yet, adding him to the booth is not going to impact the ratings of the games on Fox at all. At all. Whether the the top game of the week is on NBC, Fox... ESPN or CBS. If it's the if it's the top game of the week, or if it's your team, that's, you're, you're watching. 
You're watching. I got nothing against Kenny Albert. He's fine. He's good. Oh, I'm not going to watch the Saints because Kenny Albert's calling the game. Come on. No one does that. Oh, I got to watch the Saints because Kenny Albert's calling the game. No one does that. You know, the, the, the play-by-play and color analysts that really deserve the shine and more praise, and honestly more salary, but don't, are your local guys, your regional broadcast in Major League Baseball and in the NBA. Because that's the familiarity, that's the constant, that is the, it, 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 it doesn't happen in the NFL. Because you only have 17 games. And it's on, you know, network or or Amazon or beginning next year, streaming, Prime. But I, I, I think the decisions teams make in the NBA and MLB and NHL of who's going to be our color analyst, who's going to be our play-by-play guy on TV and radio, those are, are bigger decisions in my mind. But... It's a reminder, there's only one NFL, and the NFL is king. And Brady, apparently, is on the throne of it. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott Show continues after this. Anthony Babino joining me. This is ESPN. ESPN 1420. KPEL Lafayette. ESPN 1033. K277DQ Lafayette. A Town Square media station. ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Rage of Cajun Baseball. Victorious last night, 7-3 over the Rice Owls, their 13th road win of the season. Carson Rockefort, go-ahead RBI single in the 7th. Cajuns score five runs. Rally from one down and uh, take care of business over at Reckling Park, as he does each Wednesday during the season. Assistant coach Anthony Babineau joins me now. He is in Houston, obviously. He's uh, joining us via the phone line this morning. Good morning, Bab. How are you on this Wednesday? Hey, Scott. Good morning. I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, you guys, 15 hits last night. Um, you know, Heath Hood, Kyle DeBarge. Julian Rock uh, all had three hits. Bobby Lede playing back in Houston. He was two or three at the plate. Minchin Rock of Ford. Kimple had a couple of hits. Uh, David Christie, Austin Perrin. You know, you got a lot of different contributions from a lot of different guys. In the first game of a critical week for you guys, when you're looking at the bigger picture based on potential road wins, RPI, and then, of course, Sunbelt and what's coming up this weekend. You're exactly correct. Um, critical is is a very good word because the the rest of the season is is critical. From here on in, it's critical. It's basically, for the most part, elimination games from here on out. But we we've been up against that barrier for a while now, as far as having to win just about every game to bolster our chances and and keep. 
hopes alive for an at-large bid. So the guys are focused on that. They know that. Uh, they they take on that pressure. They have played well with that pressure. And last night was no different. They responded in a big, big way. You know, we got those two runs, top of the first, and kind of makes you think, okay, we're going to – we're just going to go here. You know, we're going to take care of business and, and then kind of got silenced a little bit for, for four to five innings there until we, I guess, woke up is, is, the, is the word. Uh, not that we went to sleep, just uh, runs were, were tough to come by and, and our bats weren't the best. Thankfully, uh, we were holding up our end of the, of the deal on the pitching side of the, of the ball. David did a, a really good job. You know, gave up those three runs, but for the most part, pitched really well. And, and the bullpen came in and was just lights out, really lights out, and allowed our offense to get back on track there in the sixth, I believe it was, or the seventh, possibly. And, and once he got back on track, and got back on track in a big way uh, against some really good arms. Rice threw some really good arms at us there at the end. Uh, a lot of velocity, some good off-speed stuff. But our guys, they were just up to the challenge. They really were. You mentioned some of the guys. You know, our our team was they're excited about this road trip, you know, even before we left because we've got so many teams from Houston. I mean, so, I'm sorry, so many players from the Houston area and just Texas in general on the roster. You know, we've got a lot of family that's going to have an opportunity to watch them play this week, uh, last night. We, I think we outnumbered the Rice fans two to one. You mentioned Julian Brock. He took up two thirds of the of the pass list with with names from family and friends. So it was just a great night. Uh, it was a hot night, hot and sticky night here in Houston, uh, but a great night nonetheless. Speaking of heat, um, I know that this past weekend uh, at home, you know the turf. I mean, I've been down there bad when when it's really hot. Uh, you mentioned Julian Brock, you know, back in Texas, a lot of fans there. He played great. You needed him. Uh, but is there, I mean, it, I, I guess I'll just ask you straight up. Is he tired? I can only imagine catching as many innings as he caught over the weekend in that heat. And now it's another busy week on the road. Like, where where is he at? I mean, he looked good last night, but how is he doing physically, man? I, ho- I hope the young man's getting some sleep. Yeah, he's getting some sleep, but he's doing great physically, really. I mean, he's a big, strong guy, you know, and he's in really good shape. That's the thing. All of our guys are in great shape. Coach James Lang does a tremendous job. Brian Davis, our trainer, they do a tremendous job of of making sure our guys are staying on top of their hydration and their food and, and eating the right things and getting enough to eat and in the weight room. You know, we, we – um, we had a team weightlifting session yesterday morning before the game. This team, you know, we, we find that they play better when we lift the day of the game. You know, there's a lot of different opinions on, on should you lift on game day, should you not. This group loves to lift on game day. Now, we don't get a as heavy a lift and as long a lift on a game day than we do as a non-game day, but they like to get up, get going. You know, this team is a. We've had some teams in the past that, you know, breakfast is not mandatory. They're not. They're not eating breakfast. You know, they're sleeping in. 
and they'll eat lunch and, and they'll eat a good pregame meal, but they're not going to eat breakfast. But this group, you know, the coaches all are early risers and down in the restaurant for breakfast, and these guys are down there with us, whether it's mandatory or, or whether it's uh, eat on your own, and they get up and they make sure their body is fueled correctly and they're big, they're strong, they're fast. And, but Julian, he's, he's doing fine. Um, you know, both physically and just had a great game last night. He really did just continues to marvel each and every game out there. And, and like I said, I was happy for him because he had tons of family and friends being right here from Houston uh, that were in attendance last night. Yeah, it, it um, game the game this season in a lot of ways it seems like it slowed down for him um, in a good way and he's just gotten better and better as the season's gone on. Not to say that he was playing bad, you know, a month ago. That's certainly not the case. But the tear he's been on at the plate as of late and the consistency, um, you know, behind the plate and in in his position and his role, just. He's been crucial in a lot of ways. And you'd mentioned the team lifting and the health of the team. You know, fans chat all the time about lineup changes or, you know, this today is this one, tomorrow might be this one, and, and analyzing it. And I talked to Coach Deggs about it, right, and he's he's always got his reasons. I guess one thing I've never asked him is how often is it we're just not playing this guy today because of rest. Is that common with this team, or is the vast majority of the time? I, I know the vast majority is 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 lineup based, right? But how often does a guy on the team this year just get that that day of rest? Not that they'd wanted, but that you guys as a staff say, okay, we need to we need to let them we need to let them take the day off here. Um, I can count that on maybe one finger, maybe one finger. It doesn't happen, not, not on this team. That, that's what that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, without saying it doesn't happen. No, um, you know you you now when guys get pulled late in the game. Yeah, sure. That's uh, I say pulled, pinch, pinch hit for. You know um, that's happened with Julian and some other guys. You know if it's a comfortable lead or if we're down a uh, a few runs late. You know that that will be for rest or you know last night uh, pinch hit for Brock late in the game um, just not wanting to take any chances with anything you know that couple guy that, that last guy that they threw had a really good fastball and was pounding in pounding in pounding in pounding in and just didn't want to take any chances with with Julian going up there and, and a ball riding in on on his hand or his wrist or anything like that so you know, pinch hit for him with with CJ, guy hitting from the uh, from the other side of the plate. But no, these, these guys are these guys are strong and these guys are ready to go. They they want to play. They love the competition. They love to compete. Um, you know, they don't they don't ever not want to play. Anthony Babineau, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports, talking raging Cajun baseball, victorious last night. Against the Rice Owls, they have uh, won, let's say, 10 of your last 11. Um, and, you know, do you feel like, Coach, at this point, you guys are playing your best ball of the season? I think we are definitely playing our best ball of the season. And, and the, 
the great thing about it for me and for us as a staff is we know we can be even better because there's still some situations that that we can improve on in, in some areas and not not improve on in a sense of we haven't done it yet this season, but improve on as far as consistency, whether it be um, sometimes getting off the field with two outs. Uh, sometimes it's it's big pitches with two outs, with two strikes, or big at bats. And trust me, we've 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 done that. Like I said, throughout the course of the season, and we've done it very well. But there's also times. You know, last night in the second inning, it hurt us a little bit. Uh, led to a couple of runs. And so we know we can still get better in that area, but we definitely are playing our best baseball right now, especially offensively. You know, things are clicking for a lot of guys. Some guys are hot right now. So, you know, that's good to see. But, again, we, we are, um, you know, we're in a situation where we've got to continue to win. You know, we have no choice but to play like this right now. Um, if we are to have any chances of an at-large, uh, there's the conference tournament. Obviously, conference tournament champion gets the automatic bid, but, you know, we're not counting on that. We want to be lined up for an at-large should we not, should we not win that tournament. And we know that the only way to do that is to win and to win and to win and to win again. So that's what we've got our sights set on. Um, we've been able to do that up to this point. Now we've got to continue to do that, you know, these last, I think, what's eight games left in the season. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come back more with Coach Babb. want to talk about David Christie, among a few other arms for Louisiana. We're talking to assistant coach Anthony Babineau right here on The Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette. We'll be right back right after this. Coulda, shoulda, and woulda. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Are you serious? They all play here. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Wednesday morning. Louisiana Raging Cajun assistant coach Anthony Babineau, our guest in Houston, Louisiana, victorious last night against the Rice Owls. They'll take on Rice again tonight, 6.30 first pitch, 6 o'clock pregame right here on ESPN Lafayette from Learfield. Jay Walker, Brad Topham, and then this weekend against Texas State, who sits atop the Sunbelt Conference standings who uh, has a 38 RPI. Cajun's now up to 13 road wins. 15 is a good number to get to when you're looking at potential at-large bids. They've got four more road games left, as uh, Coach Bab and I said earlier. Uh, critical is the word, all the games here from here on out. But the Cajuns playing their best ball of the season, knowing they can play even better ball. And, and Bab, part of that is guys just finding their way, finding their rhythm or adjusting to the game once the game is adjusted to them. You know, I, I'm looking back at this past weekend, and 
you know, guys like David Christie and Peyton Havard, you know, oh, we hadn't seen those guys in a while, and 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 they look good, right? Uh, and then Coach Matt Deggs tells me on Monday, yeah, we're probably going to start Dave uh, Christie tomorrow night, and and he starts last night, and you know, he does some work, and and Perrin went in there, and then of course Toyt and and, and Bo Bonds as well in relief, but. There's been, I mean, that's just the latest examples. There's been a lot of cases this year, Bab, of guys on the team who you see them, then you don't, or you see them and maybe they struggle and you don't see them for a while, and then they come back. And and I know that's not uncommon, but I feel like this year with this team, it seems like it's with more players than it normally is. You know, sometimes there might be one or two guys, and this year I feel like we've seen it a lot. Well, I don't, I don't know that that we've seen it. Maybe so. Maybe to, to, you know, I guess people that are not in it every day, right? You know, like like I am, and that we are. Um, but yeah, that that's things that happen, you know. Especially, well, both pitching staff and and offensively, you know. I mean, a guy will will come in and, and maybe struggle a little bit or struggle for a couple of games and then you make a move and somebody else gets hot and, and it's just like anything else. You go with the hot hand, right? I mean, you go with the guys that, that show that they're going to be consistent and that they can, they can do it because this is a, this is a must win deal. Uh, and I'm not talking about just the stretch of the season that we're in. I'm talking about the season. It's, it's a must win deal. It's no longer, I mean, it's development. Obviously, uh, guys have to be developed, and you want them to develop to hopefully have a chance at the next level. But it's a you, you've got to you've got to do it for me because it's like I said, it's a it's a must win league, uh, a must win sport, uh, college athletics. So you know, if a guy is showing that he's not able to do it consistently, then you, you've you've got to go to someone else, and, and when that someone else shows a little bit of consistency. You keep going with that guy, but what the hope is, and you know, you mentioned guys that possibly had an opportunity early, but hadn't had one late. What you hope is when when that opportunity does come back for that that individual that they succeed, that they do well. You know, that's what that's what David was able to do in his start last night, but he got that start last night because of what he did over the weekend in that inning that he threw over the weekend. You know, he was really lights out. But David is a guy that that just works incredibly hard. Uh, he has a great attitude. Uh, he's not obviously obviously not pleased and satisfied with the amount of time that he's gotten, but he's not, you know, making a scene about it or, or – having a bad attitude or anything like that. You know, he just goes about his business, works just as hard, if not harder, than than other guys on the pitching staff. You know, and it paid off for him. It usually pays off for those guys, whether it be a pitcher, whether it be a position player. You know, guys that work, that, that shut their mouth, that do what they're supposed to do, but when they have an opportunity, it usually works out for them. And, and um, that was the case with... With David Christie uh, last night and over the weekend, you'll see a guy tonight start the game that you hadn't seen in a while as well. Tommy Ray, Tommy Ray gets the ball tonight, uh, but that's what happens in those these weeks that you have five games. 
right? It, it takes more people. You've got to come up with starters and sometimes guys out of the pen that haven't pitched for for a little while because of, of the amount of games. You know, for a while we've been going three games a week, weekend to weekend, with with finals and uh, the travel that we had. You know, the the two weeks in between Appalachian State and Atlanta, um, Georgia State. And then now you've got, you know, two two midweek games. Next week you're going to have a game on Tuesday. So, you know, Tommy Ray is going to get the ball tonight and some guys get, are going to pitch out of the pin that you probably haven't seen in a while. Cooper Rawls was up last night. Um, you know, he'll be up again tonight out of the bullpen. So uh, we need those guys to to step up and, and, and you know, be good for us when given that opportunity because we need them. It takes everyone, especially this time of the year. Yeah, I remember seeing Tommy Ray back uh, opening weekend, and um, he looked really good. And sometimes the scouting report comes out or whatever it might be, but guys looking good, coming back, when that number's called, performing, you're calling his number tonight. Another guy I remember watching is uh, Drew Shiflett. How, how is Drew doing? Is he all right? Yeah, Drew's Drew's doing okay. He, he's fighting through some things, uh, you know, medically. But but he's on the he's on his he's on his way back. Good. Um, you know, so he, he's um, you know he's not ready to to take the mound for us. But but he's he's in a good frame of mind and and he's fighting his way back. Uh, you know, nothing life threatening, obviously, but just going through some things. Uh, but he's got the support of the team behind him, and, and hopefully he'll be back for us uh, at some point. Are you guys? I, I know there's always going to be a few things here or there, but do you feel like you guys overall are, are pretty healthy considering it's this late in the season? Yes, I do. Uh, I really do. We've got no got no major injuries uh, to speak of. Bumps and bruises, obviously, like every team this time of the year. Uh, but we are. We are a healthy bunch, Scott. We are. Well, you know, I, I'm I'm going back to something you referenced earlier, and that being James Lang, the assistant director of athletic performance for Olympic sports. You referenced him earlier when you were talking about, uh, you know, getting the lifts in on game day, the strength of the team, not getting tired, being in great shape. For those that just see the name James Lang and the title next to it, take us behind the curtain about what he actually does for this team and how important it is. Well, as you mentioned, he's our he's our strength training coach, and he's a guy that's with our he's with our team in the weight any any time we go in the weight room, whether it be as a team, whether it be as a pitcher or pitchers individually after after they throw, he's with us twenty four seven. He's with us on the road. He's here this week, and he just means so much to our team. You know, he's keeping us keeping us hydrated. He, he, you know, throughout the throughout the game in the dugout, whether it be the first game or where it's freezing cold or these games here lately where it's really hot. You know, he's, guys come off the field, he's bringing them, whether it be a cup of water, a, a cup of, of protein that, that he's mixed, a shake, you know, making them drink, making them stay hydrated throughout the game. He really does a great job of, of tending to that as does Brian, uh, our athletic trainer. You know, James is on the strength side. Brian is on the athletic training side. 
they really they really do a great job of of keeping our guys strong and healthy and and ready to go. Anthony Babineau, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Uh, looking ahead to tonight and beyond, what are the challenges for a coach on the second game of a midweek, uh, sec- second game of a, of a week, right, midweek game, when you have the pivotal weekend series coming up against Texas State? And you want to win all the games, uh, especially, right, we use the word critical, where you guys are now, but you're also trying not to lose any games this weekend with what you do tonight. What's the approach like in a situation like this? It, I, I'm guessing it's a little different at this point in the season maybe than it is early in the season, but how does the approach change in a two uh, in a five-game week for game two of the midweek game when you guys have, um, you know, I mean, so much on the line here moving forward? Well, I think the only approach that changes is some of the personnel that you may use on the pitching side of, you know, position player wise, uh, the lineup hasn't come out yet. It usually comes out early in the morning and hasn't come out yet, but I got to believe it's going to be the same guys, Um, you know, because these guys, they love to compete. And and this is a time of year where it's, it's really fun. Yes. I know it's hot and I know it's the second, game of a, of a five game week and <clears throat> it's a non-conference game but really and truly we talked when we got on the bus and, and I made the comment I'm like gosh dog I'm, I'm glad we won this game and you know the reply was it's no different really than Friday night I mean every game is Friday night because for the most part I know you can argue back and forth of um about this would be a little more important because of the RPI and, and um, the tier that it's in when it comes to the RPI and, and all that stuff is true. I understand all that, but in reality, last night's game was no different than the game that's going to be played on Friday. Tonight's no different than Saturday. They're just, they're all equally important and you have to focus on them that way and you have to approach them that way. And you have to just go play. I mean, like I said, it's a it's a fun time of year where school is finished, so they do they do not have to worry about the academic side of things. That's a huge pressure off of these guys. It's just baseball, and there's a lot of guys on this team that aspire to play professional baseball. And if you want to play professional baseball, this is this is what it is. I mean, you wake up, you eat, you practice, you play, you sleep. You get up the next day and you do it again. And uh, that's that's the schedule that is being presented to us right now, especially with this road trip, you know, the seven-day road trip. And we'll have a day off in between on Thursday, but it's going to be travel involved and get to another city, check into another hotel, play three days, travel back home, day off Monday, play Tuesday, day off for light practice, uh, Wednesday and then hook it up again Thursday, Friday, Saturday, day off Sunday, travel Monday, play Wednesday. So th- this is this is the time of year where, where if, if if you're serious about what you're doing, which we are, obviously that's the history of this program, the history of the players that are in this program, then and this is what you live for. This is the, the time of the year you you want to be in. This is the time of year you you thrive in. So. Really, 
the approach is, is no different. It's going to be no different tonight as it was last night. It, um, I, 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 I can say this for sure um, about this year's team. They've had no issues embracing the grind. You know, it's been one of the personalities of this team. So busy week, a lot of travel, critical games. It, it, it seems like par for the core, but it seems like something that uh, this team – I guess in some cases thrives on a lot of times bad. Maybe not every single time, but it does seem like when you guys have had to respond in a big way, your team has consistently done it this year. And, you know, uh, you got a game tonight and then this weekend a chance to win, what, an eighth straight conference series? And looking at the RPI, you're looking at the conference standings, so much on the line here. I know for you, having been in the game a long time, when you could play games this meaningful in May, you uh, you'll usually sign off on that before the season if I gave it to you. <laughs> Every single time, Scotty. Every single time, um, I'll sign up for that. Uh, that's been the case throughout my career, man. It's uh, it's fun. It really is, and and that's what you get in it for, man. You you don't get in it just for just for a few games and and be, uh, because you love the sport. I mean, you get in it because. You obviously love the sport, but you love the the competition and you love the postseason and what it means. And, you know, I've been very fortunate, you know, to be a part of this this program and this uh, this athletic department and this school for so many years. And, and to have, you know, more often than not, this time of the year has meant something. It really has. And not just this time of the year, beginning of May, but the end of May and early June has meant something more often than not. So uh, just, just a great time of year uh, having a blast with it as, as the entire coaching staff is uh, and this team is, they really are. You mentioned it earlier about how this team kind of embraces each other and, and embraces the situation that they're in. And they really do. It's remarkable to see. It's a remarkable group of young men. They, they know how to play well together. They play for each other. They're, they're very, very close, very, very tight. And, and look, trust me, they know what's at stake. It's not like we keep it from them because they're, they're able to handle it. They're able to handle the fact that they're in elimination games every night out. Um, they're able to handle the, the RPI talk that we give them. They're able to handle the fact that we're playing someone that has a really, really bad RPI and we have to take care of this game. They can handle all that. They can handle the fact that we're going into Texas State and they've got almost 40 wins and a great RPI and we have a chance to catch them in the league standings. They, they understand all that. They can handle all that. They seem to thrive off of that kind of information. They take it, they use it, and they they go and do something about it. So it's a great team to coach. It's a really great team, a great group of young men to be around. Well, I know when we talk next week, you'll uh, you'll officially be one year older, and uh, I know what you want for your birthday, and that's to be playing. In the month of June, Anthony Babineau has been our guest at TonyBab16 on Twitter. Though, do you, I mean, you hadn't been on Twitter in a while. Do you still scour it every now and then, or did you just get rid of the app? No, I did not get rid of the app. I scour. You just, I just don't, don't tweet. I don't, tw- I don't tweet a lot. Uh, I really don't. Uh, you know, when, when notifications come up that um, 
either our, our baseball account, you know, was tagged or, or I was tagged. Obviously, I read it and you know get a lot of information uh, from Twitter, whether it be about players or just news in general. Uh, you know, I uh, scroll through, but I don't don't necessarily tweet things out per se. Haven't done that in a while. So yeah, uh, we're not we're not going to get it, a obviously, uh, sure but, yeah. We're not going to get a Top Gun Maverick uh, Twitter review from you, though, once you go to see it. Are you are you as jacked to see that maybe after the season ends as, as Coach Deggs is? Because I remember when he first got here, he said his favorite movie was Top Gun, and I told him they're making a sequel, and he didn't believe me. Uh, and now, you know, I'm, I'm playing the audio of the previews for him on the air, and he's he's dropping lines from the original. I mean, he's I know he's in baseball mode, but I, I do know there's a part of him that's really, really jacked about Top Gun Maverick. I'm going to have to mention that to him. I did see, I didn't know that about um, him being that fired up about it, but I did see that uh, there was going to be a sequel come out. I saw um, the uh, advertisement for it, I guess. So, um, yeah, going to look forward to that. That was a great, great movie. Uh, one of the best of all time, no doubt. I think a lot of, a lot of folks would say that. Hopefully they don't uh, mess it up with this sequel 36 years later, but um, it looks pretty good, man. I think I, I have confidence they're not going to screw this up. But, you know, when we were young, I don't think we ever would have thought, yeah, they're going to come out with remakes and sequels and comic book movies all the time when we're older. But that's, that's pretty much all Hollywood does these days for the most part. I mean, I, I, I don't get to the movies much with young kids, but I feel like I need to make some time for Top Gun Maverick this summer. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think I'll, I'll probably partake in, in that viewing as well. Um, so, but no Twitter review, no, no, nothing, no tweets afterwards from Bab, or maybe, maybe you just break no. the silence one time. <laughs> maybe I can break the silence <laughs> one right. time, but uh, all right. That, that's a, that's a, in the future. Won't be a Twitter review. Yeah, I, I know. I know you guys have uh, a lot of work that you're worried about right now, and that you're taking care of. On the diamond last night, Louisiana victorious over Rice seven to three. Taking on the Owls again tonight, and then Texas State this weekend. You can hear Louisiana versus Rice tonight right here, six o'clock pregame, six thirty first pitch, and then this weekend over on News Talk ninety six five KPL, six o'clock on Friday, four o'clock on Saturday, one o'clock on Sunday pregame thirty minutes prior, and uh, that is all from Learfield, Jay Walker, and Brad Topham. Last thing, Bab, and I'll let you run. You mentioned this team, you know, um, really loving one another and. You know, sticking together. Uh, Brad Toppin and I were, were were texting about this. I never, I, I don't remember a baseball team that hugs as much as this one. I mean, I I feel like these guys' arms might get tired, not from throwing and batting, but a lot of hugs going. Which I, I I'm a hugger. I got nothing against it, but it feels like this year's team they they um they embrace one another with hugs maybe more than any team I can remember. Well, they do. Um... You know, I think hugging uh, hugging is is a little more common uh, these days. Hug it out. You know, not just not just yeah with us, but you see that with a lot of a lot of teams. You know, uh, on the on the men's side, you know, all the, the obviously the high fives and the the, the fist bumps and the, the dap ups and and that's still all part of the game. But uh, you know, hugging is is more embraced. It really is, and. Uh, our guys are no different, man. Um, just a, a sign of sign of affection, a sign of congrats, a sign of, of really victory and, and, and triumph. It really is. So, yeah, this 
this team, I guess you can say, is a group of huggers. It really is. You know, I'll take it though. Uh, we see a lot of hugging going on. That's that's really good. That's usually a, that's usually a good thing. Now this so, this uh, it's to be clear. This guys isn't can, a uh, can hug all they want. This isn't an invitation for everybody that that goes to see Louisiana and Nichols next Tuesday. This isn't an invitation for you to go hug. Coach Babineau. I mean, if you know him, maybe, but make sure you, you know, don't just walk up to him if he doesn't know you and give him a big hug. I mean, a birthday hug. Hey, man, and if, it, I mean, if you do, I don't know you, hey, that's fine, too. Okay. That's all right. fine. Birthday too. hugs are welcome Love next for week. All. Love <laughs> for all. Hey, birthday hugs, yeah, man. That's, uh, yeah, that's crazy when we talk next. 51. Wow. Thought yes. I'd never get to 50. But that happened last year, and here we are, 51. But it's great, man. It's great. I feel great. Uh, I believe I'm healthy. At least that's what my doctor says. So we'll keep plugging along. Just Getting older, Scott. ER. Older. Not older. ER at the end. Remember. That's Remember. Right. I've told you that before. Always put ER at the end of it. Older, not old. No doubt about it. 51 Absolutely. and young. Absolutely. Coach Babb has been our guest. Appreciate you taking the time, man. We'll be uh, we'll be listening tonight. Safe travels uh, to San Marcos later on as well. And uh, look forward to chatting with you next week, my friend. All right, Scott. Thanks, my man. Have a great day. You got it. This is Anthony Babineau, Louisiana Raging Cajun assistant coach, friend of the program, Raging Cajun lifer. A lot of good info there. Raging Cajun softball in action today, this morning as they will be taking on Coastal Carolina, who defeated uh, ULM yesterday, 10 a.m. So we got it early for you, 9.45 pregame. Pregame starts in an hour. little morning softball for you as the one seed in the Sunbelt Conference champion Raging Cajun softball team looks to win another tournament championship on their way to a regional. It is a quarter to nine. We'll take a quick timeout when we come back. Tom Brady's gigantic broadcasting deal and what it looks like in comparison to some of the richest contracts for current players. Is this really going to work? Is it really worth it for Fox? Don't go anywhere. It's the great Scott show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket. In hey, this is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to three on the Rich Eisen show. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. It does go well with a chicken. Oh, what, you, what are you saying? Oh, you trekkies and TV addicts. Don't mean to this, don't mean to bring static. Oh, you cling on to your grandma's house. Grab your back street friend to get loud. Bullet doors off inches. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, 8 o'clock hour, final segment. Big thanks to Anthony Babineau for coming on the show tomorrow. Scheduled to have an interview with uh, Louisiana Raging Cajun Director of Athletics, Dr. Brian Maggard, among others. Be careful out on the road, everybody. A number of accidents to report uh, in the last... 30 minutes, vehicle accident on the uh, corner of Vero School Road in Fufale. Vehicle accident on the corner of Kali Saloon and Bayside Drive. And um, 10 minutes ago, a vehicle accident reported over on uh, East Simcoe and East 3rd Street. Be safe. 
Weather forecast, it's getting hot this week. From the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Daniel Phillips, today is sunny, high of 91 tonight, clear with a low of 69. Tyron Matthew contract details are out. And he has $18 million guaranteed, $9.5 million signing bonus, $28.3 million in total value. I like the 28 three. Um, I, I feel like Mickey Loomis just threw us a bone on that one and Tyron, so thank you for that, <clears throat> Falcons. But if you look deep, if you look at the contract, there's two voidable years for 2025 and 2026. In 2024, $7 million, cap it of 10.9 mil. But all of the guaranteed money, for the most part, when you factor in his signing bonus and his base salary this year of 1.5 mil, and then the $7 million base the following year, a lot of the guaranteed money is in the first two years of the deal. A lot of it. If the Saints wanted to walk away after the 2023 season, as far as dead money goes, they would not have much. Uh, they, would, they wouldn't they would face a ton of salary cap issues down the road, which is telling. Now, look, if Tyron plays really, really well for two years, I don't think they're going to look at the 7 mil base and the 10 mil, 10.9 mil cap in 2024 and be like, oh, okay, we're out. But if he starts to lose a step or if it doesn't work out, yeah. And for Tyron, it's it's a nice contract for a, a, a safety that is 30 years old in the NFL. It, it does feel like, and again, this has kind of been the theme here for Tyron and the Saints since the signing was, was announced last week. It continues in every aspect to feel like a win-win. Now, he needs to win on the field, so do they but in terms of the fit, in terms of the homecoming, and now in terms of the contract. Team could also restructure Matthew's $7 million uh, base salary next year and create more space. Having the voidable years are there, but most of the cap hit is absorbed, or the bulk of it is actually absorbed this year. So... There you have it. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Speaking of contracts, Tom Brady, $37.5 million when he retires per year, per year, to call games for Fox as a color analyst. You realize that is 12.5 mil more than the highest salary he ever had in the NFL. He's making 25 mil this year. He's going to make more from Fox, his wife is worth more than he is. It's not a money thing, and yet Fox is throwing him more money than they ever have in the history of anyone in sports broadcasting. Not just them, any of the networks. I mean, what Aikman and Romo make is huge compared to what color analysts were making for the networks just a few years ago, and yet it's almost $20 million less than what Brady's going to make? And Brady hadn't called a game yet? And there's never a guarantee. It's nice when you have a team, you know, of publicists and social media savvy people to strategize and create memorable social media posts. 
And look, we've seen his wit on display over the years when he's on TV. He's a good-looking guy. He's, by many people, despite some gates, is regarded as the best ever. But, like, can he replicate that charm on live TV for three-plus hours? Fox is 37 and a half million. Have you ever, again, I'll say, I'll say what I said last hour. Have you ever watched an NFL game because of who was announcing it? Ever. Ever. You might watch a certain pregame show whenever there's several on based on who's on the panel. But the game, no. You're going to watch the game that's the best or that's your team. Let's be real. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Dr. Brian Maggard scheduled to be on with me in the 7 o'clock hour, among other things. Warriors likely going to move on tonight. Boston and Milwaukee, though. Ooh, critical. Looking forward to chat about that tomorrow. All that and more. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. The Dan Patrick Show is next, only for a little while. Raging Cajun softball pregame coming your way at 945. Don't go anywhere. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. In Lafayette, best ticket in sports.